Please do take out your Bibles once again and join me and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. As we turn now to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer and ask for His help. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Father, may your truth, may your word prevail today and every day over unbelief. Speak, O Lord, for your church is gathered and is listening. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing in our series, Knowing for Sure. The Gospel According to Luke. And I want to begin this morning by uh, playing a round or two of the word association game. Now, I don't know if that's a real accurate game. You know, some psychologists think they can learn something about you, your personality. Uh, I think it's pretty fun when you get a group of people together and somebody puts out a word and the next person, you know, the first word that comes to their mind, and so on. And sometimes you get around the circle, and it's quite different, unrelated. But I want to throw out a couple of words, and and this is probably not the time or place to shout out loud, but just in your mind, uh, think what immediately comes to mind when you hear the word authority. How about when you hear the word power. Now, as you remember what you just thought about, was it something good or bad? Was it something about authority and power where you could see it being used wisely and well? Or something about authority and power where it was abused or misused. Now as Luke continues in his narrative account about the life and ministry of Jesus, he'll show us authority and power not abused or misused, but used rightly. Not used for evil, but for good. Now let's remember Luke's purpose and plan. He's writing Theophilus then. He's writing to us and every reader now. He's writing to provide certainty. Certainty about the person and work of Jesus. Now, this certainty that he wants his reader to have is not an arrogant certainty, not an overconfidence, but rather, as we've been saying, a humble certainty, a sure certainty. Certainly, because it's going to be fixed upon Jesus. And he's got a plan. He's got a plan uh, for his purpose to be accomplished. And his plan is to write an orderly account, a narrative account that is, first of all, historically accurate. Luke is concerned about facts and truth. So he's writing a narrative account that is historically accurate, that is thoroughly researched. He does his homework. He investigates. 
He gets eyewitness accounts. It's, it's thoroughly researched and it's well organized. It's organized to show who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And I have to keep reminding all of us, I remind myself, that Luke is, what, 24 chapters, a lot of verses, but it's helpful to kind of be able to hang Luke, for that matter, hang any book of the Bible, maybe on a verse or two. It's kind of a latch. And, and the hook for Luke, I believe, can be Luke 19, verse 10, where Jesus himself says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man, Jesus says, came to seek and to save the lost. And we will see as we walk and work our way through Luke that Jesus came to seek and save all kinds of people, old, young, men, women, poor, wealthy, religious, irreligious, people at the center of society, people at the margins of society, all kinds of people who are lost in all kinds of ways. Because you see, Luke wants his reader then and now to know for sure that Jesus is for real. And today's text, just like all of them, will help us get to know Jesus. Not the Jesus of our imagination, not the Jesus that we wish he would be, but rather Jesus as he's been revealed, as he's been made known through Scripture. Well, where have we been recently? And when I say that, I mean geographically. We've, we've been in Nazareth, right? The hometown of Jesus for the previous two weeks. We saw that in Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. We saw the, the first sermon of Jesus in verses 14 through 21. The sermon, remember, that Luke chose to orient and frame the ministry of Jesus. The lens through which to guide and govern the way that we observe and understand all of Jesus's ministry. As Jesus preaches, as Jesus ministers to four kinds of people, the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. But it was also in Nazareth, his hometown, where we saw Jesus rejected. Rejected in his own hometown, run out of town, it was almost a lynch mob, but we saw at the end last week where Jesus passed through their midst, he went away. Now Jesus was rejected because Jesus exposed people to themselves. He exposed their demand, he exposed their hostility, and ultimately he exposed their unbelief. This entire episode where we've been in Nazareth comes across kind of as negative. But where are we today? Well, today we're in Capernaum, the future hub of Jesus's ministry. Now, whereas Nazareth was, was 1,300 feet above sea level, um, Capernaum is 700 feet below sea level. It's on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so when we read in verse 31, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, Jesus literally went down, downhill. And here in Capernaum, the report that we're going to look at, verses 31 through 44, instead of being like Nazareth and negative, it's rather positive. Because we will see as Jesus cast out demons and heals the sick, 
we will see that Isaiah 61 ministry that was announced earlier in Jesus' sermon. Look with me back to verses 18 and 19 of chapter 4. When Jesus took the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he unrolled it and came to the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're going to see here Jesus' sermon being practiced, being applied. Well, today's text contains several quick snapshots of Jesus' ministry, and Luke wants his readers then and now to know that Jesus exercises his authority and power in the synagogue, or I'll call it in the church, in the home, and in every place. He exercises his authority and power in the church, in the home, and in every place through his word and for our good. So let's look at verses 31 through 37. Jesus exercising his authority and power in the church, well, in the synagogue. Exercising it in public, as it were. Join with me again in verse 31. And he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And as he was, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Jesus is going to demonstrate he's got authority and power in teaching. He was teaching in the synagogue. Again, he was teaching them on the Sabbath. It was Jesus' regular practice, his pattern. He's that traveling rabbi. He had spoken in Nazareth. Here he is in Capernaum. It's his regular practice to teach. You know, sometimes in the church, teaching gets a bad rap, right? We want to do. We want to um, get hands on. But you'll notice Jesus goes around teaching. Preachers. Leaders in the church, they continue that, to teach. Because from the get-go, we're ignorant. Stuff has to be revealed to us. It doesn't come automatically or naturally. We've got to be taught. I mean, there are some things that we don't need to be taught, right? How to be selfish. How to be self-centered. How to be angry, cruel. But other stuff we need to be taught, and Jesus is teaching. He's teaching the Word of God. Let's continue. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. The people respond with astonishment. And and why? Well, the text says he spoke with authority, he possessed authority. Literally, it means out of the original stuff. Jesus is not quoting people who's quoting people who's quoting. He's teaching, uh, as someone says, he's not in bondage to quotation marks. It's original. He's not teaching about the word of God. He's in in his teaching. He's proclaiming the word of God. You know, this idea that it possessed authority. People can sense There's something different about this man. Unlike some of the teachers of law, he's got authority. I wonder wonder what they heard. 
wonder what they heard. Um, the Irish missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, of the 19th and 20th centuries, said this, If you have never been hurt by a word from God, it is probable that you have never heard God speak. They're aware, the people in the synagogue, they're aware of Jesus' authoritative, powerful teaching. It's confronting them. It's, It's having an effect in their life. They're not just hearing it. It's starting to reside in them. He's teaching with authority, but that's not all because we're gonna see also that There's authority and power not only in teaching, but in confronting and overcoming evil. Let's continue. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Let's continue. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. This is the first miracle recorded in Luke, this exorcism, this casting out of a demon. This this exorcism, it's evidence, again, of Jesus' authority. This miracle is an audio-visual display of a deeper reality. It's picturing something, of course, more important. And here, with this opening miracle, this confrontation with and overcoming of evil, the curtain is being pulled back already on the deep cosmic struggle between the forces of evil and Jesus. Now as this first miracle, it's a a signal miracle. It's going to signal power and victory over Satan and evil. Now remember, Jesus had already been led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he overcame the three temptations of Satan, of the devil, through the word of God. He's already been doing battle. And here is the battle again. This unclean demon speaks. It's fascinating, isn't he? He has knowledge of Jesus. He has fear of Jesus. He says, I know who you are. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now, there was a thought in that day and age that if you could name it, it's not that you would claim it, but if you could name it, you would have power over it. You remember the idea if you name something, you're kind of the owner of it. Here, it could be that this unclean spirit, this demon that's inhabiting this man is is trying to get the upper hand on Jesus. But Jesus will have none of that because it's not a confession of faith, it's a confession of truth. And Jesus 
again says, be silent and come out of him. I kind of like the translation I came up with and some others came up with. Uh, Shut up and get out. Shut up and get out. Now, did you picture what's going on in the synagogue? Jesus is teaching with authority, teaching with power, and, and evil confronts Jesus. And Jesus speaks, and we see this demon throws the man down, but he came out of him, having done him no harm. Amazing. Jesus meets the challenge. He removes the presence and power of evil on the man without destroying the man himself. Think about that. Jesus is able to overcome, and yet the man himself is not destroyed. What a reassuring picture of Jesus' power. This surgical precision of Jesus. It's, he didn't have to solve the problem with the man's destruction. He spoke, evil obeyed, was silent, got out of the man. And what's the response of the people? They're astonished at his teaching. They are amazed to see this power. And we read in verse 37, and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. You won't believe what we've heard. You won't believe what we've seen. You won't believe this authority and power. He speaks and things happen. The word is spreading about Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, In one sense, these people are witnessing, right? They are witnessing the the authority and the power of Jesus and they're telling others about it. And we will see that as we go through Luke, the word of mouth. We'll see it in how he calls disciples and how he goes from place to place. The word is getting out about Jesus. And here in Bellevue in 2022, last night at the concert, the word was getting out about Jesus. Luke wants to show us not only the public ministry of Jesus in the synagogue, in the church, but also the the private ministry of Jesus in a home. You see, Jesus not only works, as it were, in the public place, but he also enters into private and personal needs. So let's look at Jesus' authority and power in the home, in private. We pick up in verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So here's authority and power, not in teaching, not in exercising a demon but rather in healing. And the healing confirmed the impression of tremendous authority which Jesus' teaching had already made. Illness and disease are subject 
also to the authority and power of Jesus. And here Luke is inserting a a clue already that Jesus is that one who has come to ultimately restore the world. Peter, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, is gripped in a fever. And it's interesting, uh, one clue that Luke is most likely in the medical field is he includes this detail. She was ill with a high fever. I don't know if you guys have been gripped by a high fever, but it's pretty miserable, isn't it? You want relief. You know, brushing your teeth is painful. You're, you're, You're not sometimes sure what's up and what's down you're gripped Uh, is it a virus is it an infection but your body's responding she's gripped by this fever and Jesus speaks and rebukes the fever he he's he's over evil he's over just disease and illness there's authority and power in this healing and in there we see the compassion of Jesus Look with me as how this continues. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. The word got out. Peter's sick mother-in-law has been healed, and people bring others to, to the home. And Jesus exercises compassion. He, he He's speaking, of course, with with authority and power, but he he touches. He touches with authority and power. And we will see that more and more as Luke unfolds. But here we also see the authority and power of Jesus in exorcism once again. We see it in this confrontation of Jesus versus evil. And demons also came out of many. In verse 41, we read, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Again, there's a confession of truth from these demons, but not a confession of faith. And Jesus, once again, basically says, shut up and get out. He silences them. He he wants people to, to... learn for themselves who Jesus is. He's got a a timetable for how he's going to reveal himself to people. Here we see in this instance, Jesus dealing with two kinds of human trauma, the spiritual and the physical. And at times you can't separate the two. But notice Luke's careful orderly account. We saw earlier exorcism, then a healing, one exorcism of the man in the synagogue and one healing Peter's mother-in-law. But now we see healings and then exorcisms in the plural. There's the singular and the plural, the individual and the many. And it's, it's, it's reversed. It's Luke's way of helping us see the comprehensiveness of Jesus's ministry. All this is taking place on one Sabbath day. You know, as we go further in Luke, Jesus gets in a lot of hot water for doing what? Working on the Sabbath, doing good on the Sabbath, showing mercy 
on the Sabbath. This is all taking place, according to Luke, on one Sabbath day. Jesus tackles demons and diseases all in a day's work. Think about the last big day you had at work, at the hospital with a bunch of patients, sick kids, um, loading airplanes, figuring out where to ship things, a, a really demanding day teaching. Think about a demanding day at work and Jesus is tackling demons and diseases. What's he been doing? Well, that sermon he preached is guiding his own ministry to the poor, to the captive, to the oppressed. They are being released. They are being freed. Jesus exercises his authority and power in public, in the church, in private, in a home. And now Luke wants to show us that Jesus exercises authority and power in every place, in every place. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and he would, and would have kept him from leaving them. Jesus departs. He goes into this desolate place. Uh, I think it's in Mark. It says he went to pray. Luke doesn't say it, but of course, most likely that's what's taking place. Jesus departs, and yet he is pursued. He, he's refusing, though, to be kept from leaving because he's under what we call a divine must. Again, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. People here, Luke is showing us, want a Jesus they can control, a Jesus they can manage. Don't go, Jesus, stay. It's interesting, right? Nazareth, they, they pushed him out. Here, Jesus is the one that's wanting to leave. He's under this divine commission, this divine must. Could the people want Jesus to stay because they want to control him, manage his ministry? Do they want a Jesus who's a wonder worker? Maybe some want an entertainment act. Maybe some want an insurance policy. You know, step back for, with me for a moment and think about what people, what the church wants sometimes. People want a church with a particular political agenda, uh, an entertainment venue, or to be consumed with, with a particular social project. They want a Jesus they can control and manage. They want a church that they can control and manage. And Jesus has nothing to do with that. Because Jesus knows the purpose for which he came the purpose for which he was sent. There's this divine commission to proclaim the good news of God's reign and rule far and wide. Not just in Nazareth, not just in Capernaum, not just in Galilee, but Judea and beyond in every place. Jesus has been 
ministering to a variety of people, individuals, crowds, women, and men, and not just in one place, but in many places. And he is, he knows that his purpose is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Underline, if you would, the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This is the first time Luke uses that expression, kingdom of God. He'll use it 32 more times directly, those words. He'll also indirectly, seven more times, uh, bring that. Jesus demonstrates his authority and power over demons and disease, as well as he declares that in the midst of this healing ministry, this um, rebuking demon ministry, there's a priority, a priority to preach the good news. And we saw that a moment ago in our New Testament reading that, that Paul, when he met Jesus and when he was commissioned by Jesus to to proclaim the good news of the gospel of grace, and we saw that at the end of Acts, proclaiming the kingdom of God, God's reign and God's rule, where power and authority is exercised rightly and for people's good. This whole text that we've looked at this morning is about authority and power. So let's revisit the word association game. Authority and power. Luke is bringing Jesus before our eyes. And what we've seen is that Jesus rightly exercises authority and power in the church in the home, and we will see further in every place, in this church, Jesus exercises authority and power. In your home, Jesus exercises authority and power. And in this world, Jesus exercises authority and power. Well, let's land on a couple of things that I think will be important for us to remember. It is good news that Jesus exercises his authority and power through his word. Again, how did all of this happen? Jesus spoke. To be sure, there was an instance where it spoke of him laying hands on people, touching them. But the majority, and in every instance, is also he spoke. That's good news because now... Through his word and by his spirit, Jesus rules and reigns. Through his word and by his spirit. See, what's taking place then and there takes place here and now. We've talked in our adult class about would it be better to have Jesus in the flesh with us or Jesus by his spirit with us. And Jesus himself says, it's better that I go away so that my spirit can come. My friends, those of us who are trusting in Jesus have the spirit. And as this church is made up more and more, more, and more of people who have that spirit, this church will be, as it were, guided and governed by that spirit of God through the word of God.
You see, the word of God is authoritative. It, God rules over us, but it's, it's powerful. It, it changes us, right? Remember what Paul tells the Roman church? That the gospel is what? The power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Remember Jesus confronts some Sadducees. They were trying to trap him, trick him. When he was asking questions about who's going to be married at the resurrection, whose wife is it? Jesus says what? You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. We have God's word that's authoritative. It's our rule. But we have the spirit with the word that's powerful, that changes us. And secondly, it's good news that Jesus exercises his authority and power not only through his word, but for our good. Then, here we see Jesus teach, confront evil, overcome evil, heal, roll back the effects of the fall. And now we know by faith that Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection has done what? Defeated sin, defeated death, defeated the devil. He's already overcome his and our greatest enemies. Now we know by faith that he is for us and not against us. You see, all authority and power has been given to Jesus for his glory and for our good, not just so that we can go out and make disciples, as we know from the Great Commission and as we will sing in a moment, but also so that we will be able to live lives here and now of confident assurance of his love for us. My friends, what is going on in your life right now? Do you see yourself in any scenario here? Do you feel like sin is just over, is battling you and you are losing? Do you feel like you've been struggling with this physical illness and, and you just wish that things would change? Well, I've got some good news. One day in a coming day, everything's going to change. Everything's going to be made new. We've got the promise and assurance of new bodies that won't fall apart, that won't break down. Here we see in God's word a glimpse of coming attractions. Jesus, in the lives of his people, exercises authority, he exercises power through his word for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us get to know our Savior a bit better today. Thank you for this historically accurate, well-researched, well-organized narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for Jesus' teaching. He indeed is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to you but through him. We 
Thank you, Father, that he has demonstrated his power over evil. We thank you, Father, that Jesus demonstrates his compassion toward us. Oh, Father, help us more and more be certain of what we've been taught. Help us to be assured. Help us to know for sure that Jesus is for real. For we pray in his name. Amen.